You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. This episode of Gators Breakdown is brought to you by MyBookie. Use promo code Gators to double your first deposit. Only at MyBookie.ag. Want more Gators Breakdown? Join Gators Breakdown Plus. Starting at $3 a month, get access to unique episodes, plus a blog, chat room, giveaways, shoutouts, and more. Gators Breakdown Plus is furthering the interaction with fans and listeners like you. Head to GatorsBreakdown.SupportingCast.FM to join Gators Breakdown Plus today. Gators Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Then you can probably be here at my voice. I'm much better than I was earlier in the week. Feeling much better as we get closer to game day. Florida, Utah, we are ready for Saturday night and to show you we're ready we got a big preview coming up florida utah porter larson hosted the utah pregame show with espn 700 in salt lake city he'll join us right here on gators breakdown to break down the utah utes big time big time preview coming up here from the opponent perspective as utah comes into the swamp saturday night Everybody, thank you. Thank you so much. We did hit that benchmark of 10,000 subscriptions here on YouTube. I gave that benchmark. Let's hit it before kickoff of the first game of the season. We did so a few days before Tuesday of this week. Uh, So thank you so much there. So a a couple of achievements lately. 10,000 subscriptions on YouTube. 5 million plays overall from YouTube and the podcast versions. We're going to kick off. We're kicking the season off in great fashion here on Gators Breakdown. Thanks to you out there. So I just, I, I can't, uh, you know, I, it, it means a lot. It means a lot as we kick off this season uh, of where Gators Breakdown is uh, right, right here in, in the Gator Media world. So big, big thanks to you guys out there. All the support, all the interaction means a lot. It really does. Check us out at the home of Gators Breakdown, news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. Even more Gators coverage right there from the News for Jack sports team. Uh, Gators Breakdown Plus, of course. If you want even more content this season, extra episodes, early access to episodes, you get it right there at Gators Breakdown Plus. The link is in the description. You get 
access to that Discord server chat as well. The conversation always going right there on that Discord. Have a lot of fun in there. So, all right, here we go. Let's get started with the Utah preview. Here we are with Porter Larson, host of the Utah pregame show with ESPN 700 in Salt Lake City. Porter, welcome to Gators Breakdown. Thanks, man. Uh, looking forward to it. We've been chatting a little bit on the airwaves, and uh, uh, it's been a long summer. Looking forward to this kickoff, so good to actually have a game to discuss. Yeah, long summer for both of us. You know, from the Gators side, we're excited for a brand-new head coach and, and his first game being Utah, and then for you guys, I mean, look, Coming off of a season that ended in a, a clobbering of Oregon for the Pac-12 championship, uh, then pushing Ohio State in the Rose Bowl, that leading to a, a top 10 preseason ranking for the Utes heading into the season, and now game one versus Florida. How, how big of a game is this for Utah? Yeah, man. Well, it's it's kind of a culmination of everything Utah's been building towards for a long time, right? With, with, with you guys in Gainesville, you're used to the big stage. You're used to... Uh, national relevance. Utah, it's been a, a steady path to get there, right? And you you mentioned it, right? You come in, the Utes are the number seven team in the swamp. They're technically the favorites, uh, at least if you listen to the folks in Vegas. That's something that if you would have told a Ute fan a couple decades ago, uh, they would have told you to, to turn the PlayStation off, right? That's that's <laughs> stuff that they've been dreaming about. So this is huge. It's a, it's a culmination of everything Kyle Whittingham's been building towards, and it, it's, it's, it really is crazy to see uh, this Utah team in this stage just 20 years after, you know, the, the team I grew up watching in the WAC in the Mountain West. Uh, now they're defending Pac-12 Pac champions coming off a Rose Bowl and looking towards – Florida, and they're not the underdogs. It, it's it's really kind of crazy uh, looking at it from that standpoint. And and for you guys, it should be exciting as well, right? Uh, a, a new a new head coach, uh, a, a new era in Florida. It seems like some normalcy finally in Gainesville. <laughs> and personally, I'm pretty high on on Billy Napier. So while I do think it's tough out of the gate, you yep. get Utah, you get Kentucky, two ranked teams. Uh, I, I am pretty high on on the Gators long term. Yeah, so you mentioned Kyle Whittingham, and look, he's been the coach at Utah ever since Urban Meyer left Utah to come to Florida, so there's a little connection there if you want to go back all the way back to 2005. You know, in an age of college football, and look, Florida's part of this, where it doesn't seem like there's much patience uh, in, in college football, at least as far as coaching and the coaching carousel is concerned, what does Whittingham do so well to, to keep Utah nationally relevant, you know, ever since that 2005 takeover uh, there from Urban Meyer. Of course, it's a culture there over, over over that amount of time, but I mean, he's had success pretty much since he took over there for Urban Meyer. Yeah, well, definitely got kind of a good kickstart with Urban, right? That, that Fiesta Bowl run, uh, that undefeated season with Alex Smith as the number one pick. That's a good kickstart, but for Kyle, it's it's been building since before that. I mean, he... He was named the, the youth's defensive line coach in, I think, August of 1994. That was two months before I was born. So <laughs> he's been involved in this uh, really from the get-go along that defensive front. And that's where the youth's identity is, right? You, you look back through the years, they stop the run, and then they worry about everything else. And, and they try and make you one-dimensional. And they've been really successful at that. And now – the offense is starting to come along because you're getting these bigger recruits. You're getting some of that, that Pac-12 talent and, and that Power 5 talent in your 
in your program. And that's something you didn't have before. You had that identity, that toughness, that culture. And now you're combining that with, you know, the exposure of going to a Rose Bowl, the exposure of being a Pac-12 contender every year. And, and that's really where Kyle's been able to, to, to get this consistency, this stability. And he does it by continuing and having a, a continuity on the coaching staff. And with the team's identity on the field as well, right? Andy Ludwig now in his third season, finally, or for, sorry, fourth season now, finally the Utes have had, you know, uh, the the stoppage of the OC carousel, and the offensive side has started to pick up with the defensive side, and I think that's really where they've been able to take that next step. But as you talk about, it's the consistency, it's the culture, and that's something that's taken like I said, longer than I've been alive for Kyle to, to start to build uh, 27 years and counting now. Yeah, you mentioned that offense coming around, and it came around last season after a slow start. The quarterback switch was made uh, after a couple games there. Cam Rising comes in, offense takes off. Uh, what does he bring to the table to make that offense click? Yeah, man, Cam Cam is a really dynamic player. Um, he, he doesn't necessarily wow you in any of the, the ways that, Anthony Richardson, for example, does, right? He's not 6'5", 240 pounds. He doesn't run a 4'3", 40. Frankly, he doesn't throw the ball 70 yards downfield with the flick of the wrist. But he has such a good command of the offense. He he not only came in as a starter last year, uh, but he was competing for the job the year before and before that was able to sit with Andy Ludwig up in the box for a whole season because he was dealing with a, a, sh- a shoulder surgery, right? So he's, he's been able to see this offense in a number of different ways and from a number of different perspectives. And for me, the way he's able to identify things pre-snap, the way he's able to, to, to orchestrate his offensive lines shifts, um, it's really a testament to him knowing Andy Ludwig's offense as well as any quarterback that's come through this system. And, and then he builds upon that with just a, a, a crazy knack for keeping plays alive, uh, for staying on his feet and, and for making plays not only through the air but with his arm, man, or with his legs rather, right? He, You saw it in the Rose Bowl. You saw it in the Pac-12 title game. He, he's really able to, to create things with his legs, with his arm. He's able to, to get his playmakers the ball in positions where, where they're able to succeed. He's really good at that as well. And, and for Cam, I think that's that's where where he's able to distance himself, right? Uh, we had that quarterback battle, Charlie Brewer, last year. And Charlie's talented. He's got the arm talent. He's got the arm strength. He just didn't have the command of Andy Ludwig's offense the way that Cam does. And I think that's really what's been able to separate him uh, in, in, in that quarterback room. And now looking, looking towards this year, one of the top returning quarterbacks uh, in the Pac-12. Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, the kind of maybe the freelance style sometimes of, uh, yeah. of Cam and look, I mean, Florida's got the Florida's linebackers have their they've got their hands full this game. Not only with Cam and his freelance ability and being able to make some plays with his legs, as you mentioned, but the weapons returning around him, starting at running back there, the pass catchers from the tight end position at the same time. Uh, I mean, five of the top six from last season return headlined by tight ends Brant Keithy. Dalton Kincaid, two monster tight ends there for Utah. Most teams would love to have one tight end <laughs> they can rely on. Utah's got two of them. Uh, create mismatches. What do the Utes have two of these guys here? 14 touchdowns between the two of them last season. 
looks like you're going to have to be counted on a little bit more after losing uh, uh, Brenton Covey, uh, wide receiver, last year. Just talk about those two tight ends and the, the mismatch problems they bring uh, in this offense. Yeah, well, they're so hard to defend because they're so different, right? They're really good weapons from the tight end position. But Brent Keithy is kind of more of that uh, hybrid. You know, you throw him out in the slot. You throw him out wide if you want to. If you put him out on a corner, he, he's going to bully him, bully him on the edge. If you bring him inside, he's able to block and use his strength. While Dalton Kincaid is more of that typical pro-style tight end, right? You, you're going to see him uh, right outside the tackle a lot. While Brent Keithy, you can move him around. He's, he's probably going to be a fullback in some positions. He's probably going to be kind of a wing in certain, uh, certain situations. So for Brent, uh, you can throw him around in, in any sort of position. You've seen the youths throw him on that jet sweep and, and mm-hmm. use him as a ball carrier, a runner uh, on occasion. And then Dalton gives you mismatches really with anyone you throw on him, right? He's he's 6'5". He can go up and get the ball, and he's more of that pro-style tight end. So for Andy, it's it's just a benefit of having multiple pieces to use in different ways. Last year they had Cole Fotheringham, who uh, is, is, is just making the, the Raiders squad. He's going to be on the practice squad, it looks like, uh, after the, uh, the 2 p.m. Eastern time uh, mm-hmm. NFL cuts today. And, you know, replacing that production isn't easy, but they've got four or five guys in the pipeline that are, that are ready to do it. We haven't even mentioned Logan Kendall, who was a, uh, an all-conference transfer from, from up in Idaho. Um, you know, they, they are really loaded at the tight end position, and that creates a lot of problems for what I think is a, a you know, up-in-the-air linebacker unit for Florida where you're replacing your top tackler who is now with Utah. <laughs> so <laughs> it creates a, an interesting dynamic there. I'm excited to see how they defend it because it may be a blueprint to, to what teams do against the Utes all year long. They're kind of a unique team uh, lining up in 13 personnel and, and such so often. Yeah, absolutely. Using those tight ends in a multitude of ways does this offense there. And physical brand of football, I mean, we, we know that about Whittingham. Uh, it's certainly apparent with the running back position as well. 6'2", 238-pound Davion Thomas returns after gaining 1,100 yards last season, 21 touchdowns. That broke a Utah single-season rushing t- touchdown record. Uh, and that ranked third in all of college football last year at the same time. Is he as bruising as a running back as it seems here? Yeah, I mean, when you're 6'2", 240, and you get a handoff with, with a full head of steam, um, it, it's tough to, to keep, you, keep you within that three, four-yard mark, right? So, so Tavion's a guy who he, he doesn't have necessarily all that lateral quickness that you see uh, in a lot of pro backs, but he's really good at hitting those holes uh, and, and doing so full pace, right, and, and getting ahead of steam in front of him. And the, the thing with Utah is it's not just Tavion. Yes, you have a returning 1,000-yard rusher who was tops in the country in touchdowns last year. But if you go look at that depth chart, Kyle Whittingham very intentionally put Tavion Thomas or Makai Bernard or Chris Curry or Jalen Glover. There are four guys in this backfield ready to be kind of the next thing with Utah running backs, right? We can go back a, a decade. Matt Asiata, Devontae Booker, uh, Joe Williams, uh, Zach Moss, all those guys ended up in the NFL. Those are the last four guys that really were the starters for the Utah football team out of the out of the backfield. And now you've got four guys back there trying to be that next guy, right? Tavion Thomas is is probably the one who you're going to see get the lion's share of of the carries. But you have a, a change of pace back in Makai Bernard, who uh, 
I, I'm not comparing him to Debo Samuel, but think of him in, in the Utes offense as that kind of player. They may they may give him the ball out of the backfield, but he's going to be catching the ball a lot. He may be split out wide a lot as well. You saw that in the Rose Bowl. And then you've got Chris Curry, who's a little bit more like Tavion, kind of that third down bruiser back. And then Jalen Glover, a true freshman who word out of fall camp is he's pushing every one of those guys for reps and for carries coming into 2022. So yeah, in the backfield, uh, a good problem to have when you've got four guys who apparently are, are ready and, and willing to go. And one of them coming off a thousand yard season and 20 plus touchdowns. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how Billy Napier and, and, and co combat that. And Glover from the state of Florida, recruit yeah. from the state of Florida there. So I remember his name uh, being in the recruiting circles here uh, in the state. So a couple pieces missing up front from last year's squad. How much of a concern is that with those guys? Now, they did, you know, n- nobody making their first start here, but maybe their first start in an atmosphere like we're going to see on Saturday night. And we, you know, ma- mainly talking about center here and um, uh, Paul Mills taking over there at center. Yeah, Paul Miley. Uh, Miley, there we go. Miley, okay, right. I, yeah, I, I, I knew there was one name I was going to get that that, that, listen, that was that was going to get me. Listen, there's a lot of names with the Polynesian pipeline with Utah. <laughs> I'll tell you what, as a radio guy here, sometimes it takes weeks to uh, to go through that depth chart, get the phonetic spelling out, and and, and get them going. But Paul Miley uh, taking over the center for Nick Ford, uh, a guy who's getting his shot at the NFL level as well. Uh, you're replacing Bamadeli Olaseni, who also headed to the NFL. Um, so yeah, we're, we're replacing a lot of guys across that, that front. Uh, but they're guys who, who've seen some action. Paul Miley, uh, he's played in 17 games for the youth started in four. And the reason he went down was a, was a foot injury, right? He had to have foot surgery and, and, and missed a lot of time there. Braden Daniels has taken over at left tackle. You've seen him kind of shoot around at different positions, much like Nick Ford did. Braden, Braden's a future NFL player, uh, out there at left tackle. So there's no, no real worries there. Uh, and then you move inside Keaton Bills at the guard position. You mentioned Paul Miley taking over. Satoa Laumea is uh, the, the right guard. And then at right tackle, probably Jaron Kump. Uh, mm-hmm. So these are all guys who have seen a lot of action. Kump probably the least experienced along that offensive line. Um, but they're they're all players who Jim Harding, Kyle Whittingham feel comfortable in in throwing out there. They've had more time to acclimate and gel as a group than the than the unit did last year. Um, so they're they're feeling a little more confident coming into game one than they did last season, just simply because they didn't have a lot of time to gel. This five man unit has been together through the spring. They've been together through the, through the fall, and they haven't had many injuries there. So uh, there there's some some optimism along the, the the front line for the Utes, even though they are having to replace, as you mentioned. Uh, a couple of uh, really good players along the front. All right. Porter Larson hosts the Utah pregame show with ESPN 700. Joining us right here on Gators Breakdown. Let's move to the other side of the ball, Porter. And big headline, of course, losing the program. One of the be- one of the program's best players ever, uh, linebacker Devin Lloyd. But not only losing him, his, his running mate, Nephi Sewell, uh, at the position as well. And then to help fill the void, you teased it earlier, Mamu Diabate transfers from Florida, goes to Utah, his first game, returns back to the swamp to take on his former team. One of the most interesting storylines of the game right there, Porter, of just not only who you lost, but who you replaced Devin Lloyd with. Yeah, obviously Devin Lloyd, first-round pick, uh, all-conference player. He was a that's, – that's a generational-type linebacker, right? You don't, you don't see those guys come through every, 
you know, outside of every decade or so. So replacing him is, is impossible, but filling that void in the youth system, I think is something that they're pretty confident in, thanks to Mo Diabate, the, the, the leading tackler for the Gators last year, now in Salt Lake City. Um, they, they think of him as a guy who has a lot of the physical traits that Devin Lloyd did. So they're going to be able to plug him in and rely on him to, to make a lot of tackles, right? The Utes defense is built, so the, the guys along the front, you don't necessarily see a lot of stats out of them, right? You've probably never heard of John Penasini or Lecky Fotu, but those guys are both playing in the NFL right now because of what they did at Utah, even though they you know, weren't on the box score. They didn't get many tackles. You didn't hear their name called very often because they just stand up the, the front line. They, they, they make a lot of contact. They eat up as many blocks as they can and allow guys like Devin Lloyd to just run freely behind them. Mo Diabate, I think, is, is going to thrive in that kind of system. And then you mentioned Nephi Sewell, the brother of Penne Sewell, the brother of Noah Sewell at Oregon. Uh, he, he's got the, the same kind of thing. You know, he, he was able to, to run amok behind that, 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 uh, that defensive line. You replace him with Kareni Reed, who came in for Nephi while he was hurt last year and, and played at a really high level. So it's kind of the same story as the offensive line. You're replacing guys in the NFL with guys who've had a lot of Pac-12 experience. So, yes, it's going to be a step back. It's going to be a regression, at least at first. But the coaching staff is really confident with the guys they have in place, at least once they get a few reps, you know, once they get some, some, some game experience under them. And that's where it becomes a big variable against Florida, right? Yes, they're, they're confident in these guys going into the Pac-12 slate, and they're confident in these guys once they, they see them out on the field. But we haven't necessarily seen much of some of them. So when you get the bright lights on you in the swamp, how do you react to that? And, and some of these freshmen, sophomores, and, and the transfers uh, that, that we talked about, it's going to be interesting to see you know, how they react and how they play when, when the bright lights are shining in week one couple more thoughts here, Porter, and let's move up front on defense. Lost some pieces there as well. Have some young pieces that will be relied on, especially, I mean, Pac-12 freshman defensive player of the year, Junior Tafuna, right there at defensive tackle. Yeah, Junior, one of those guys I mentioned. Lucky Fotu, John Penasini, guys that you don't hear about very often, right? They're unheralded, but that's because of the system that's played here, right? They're going to eat up a lot of blocks. You're going to see Junior Tafuna, uh, Tennessee Pututau as well. Uh, they're going to really just try to be double teamed. If, if they can eat up two blocks along the front line, they're doing their job. If they can get through a guy and make that running back block them or chip, slow the play down a little bit, they're doing their job. And and Junior Tafuna plays that role really, really well. I think the question with the Utes along the front is how much pressure can they get? Last year you really saw once Mika Tafua came down with an injury, you saw their effectiveness in the pass rush really take a dip. Now Mika is in the NFL and you're trying to replace him probably with one Van Fillinger. Uh, on the other side, you've got Jonah Ellis. And it, it's hard to to necessarily expect them to be a Bradley and I or, you know, a, a, a double digit sack guy. But that's really what Utah needs along that offensive front. They're confident in the guys in the middle. You, you, you mentioned uh, Junior Tafuna, but there's also Devin Kalfusi, Tennessee Pututau, Aliki Vimahi, uh, all along that front. They're four or five deep at tackle. It's the guys on the edge, I think, that need to take that next step and, and, and have a presence in the pass rush game. 
And for Utah, that's that's really where the question mark is, less so than in the middle. Oh, well, there, there's not a question mark on the back end with quarterback Clark Phillips, the third. <laughs> 86 tackles, three interceptions, two pick sixes, 15 broken up passes over the last couple of seasons there. I mean, if we look at a depth chart and we look at you know some previews, he's the one guy that is identified there on the back end for Utah. What's around him back there to help him out on the back end? Yeah, Clark Phillips is, is the marquee name, right? Uh, number one recruit that the Utes have ever got, and he's shown to be exactly that. I mean, he's he's a guy that's going to be going to be playing on Sundays as well, and he's he's one of those corners that, it, especially at the college level, you throw him out on on wide receiver number one, and for the most part, you don't worry about it the rest of the game, right? That that wide receiver might get a catch or two, but he's not going to really hurt you, at least as as far as history tells us. Clark Phillips is, is one you can trust in that scenario. So what that does is it puts a lot of pressure on the opposite side. It not only puts a lot of pressure on the opposite side, but it gives a lot of opportunities to the opposite side corner. That guy is to Travis Broughton, JT Broughton, who is coming off a season-ending injury last year, but the season before was an all-Pac-12 player. He's good. He's six foot tall, uh, you know, close to 200 pounds, so he's a little bit bigger than Clark. You can throw him out on some of those larger 6'4", 6'3", uh, wide receivers that you guys have, and I think he's he's a little more effective on, on some of those type players. Uh, behind them, the safety position starting, you're going to probably see R.J. Hubert and Cole Bishop. Cole is the next big thing as far as Utah defensive backs goes, right? Uh, he is really good. You, you think of Marquise Blair, Marcus Williams, the uh, the, the guys that are they're playing at the next level now, Cole Bishop is is every bit that player, and he's only a sophomore, right? So we're expecting big things out of him. It's more of the other safety position. R.J. Hubert coming off a season-ending knee injury as well. How can he adjust? How quickly can he acclimate to the game speed, uh, having been removed a little bit? And then Clayton Isbell is the guy backing him up. Utes are really high on Clayton Isbell, uh, a two-time FCS All-American, but how does he adjust to the game speed at the Division One Power Five level is also a question mark. I think you see both of those guys uh, opposite Cole Bishop at the safety position a little bit. Even week one, probably, uh, they're going to employ some three safety looks and, and some multiple defensive backfields. Uh, a lot of things that I think you're going to see them do are going to be intended, not necessarily to confuse Anthony Richardson, but with that in mind, right? They're going to throw a lot of different looks. Uh, probably multiple safeties and and try and and, and confuse him pre-snap because they're able to to throw a bunch of different things and, and that's kind of what Morgan Scally really likes to do. You're going to see some of those guys blitzing. You're going to be seeing some of those guys up at the line of scrimmage and and uh, as you mentioned, their defensive backfield is one that I don't think there's many questions. Yes, some guys that are, are coming back from injury, but it's really just about seeing how healthy they can be and, and if they can stay on the field. Good stuff, Porter, man. Good preview. Uh, what's uh, You're in Gainesville Saturday, right? Yeah, we're in Gainesville Saturday, kicking off coverage. Uh, ESPN 700, obviously, we're the flagship home of the Utes. We have like 10 hours of, of coverage, so it'll be from 1 p.m. Mountain Time, I guess 3 p.m. Eastern, all the way through uh, kickoff. And, and, yeah, we're looking forward to it, man. It's, it's, uh, it's a really big moment, I think, for the Utes. And, really kicking off a season that I think has some high expectations. I'm really excited to see Billy Napier and, and his crew. Uh, last time we saw him, he was with Arizona State, and they whooped yeah. Utah at home at Rice-Eccles. So I'm excited to see how, how the, the, the rematch goes there between Kyle and, and, and Billy Napier. And honestly, 
I mentioned at the top of the show, though, uh, I'm really high on on Florida going forward. But I think these first two weeks for them are are, are a tall task for for Billy and Co. Yeah, Porter, I hope you get to uh, at least take in Gainesville a little bit on Saturday. Get some of that, uh, you know, I guess down, down south tailgating in, in the atmosphere a little bit. Yeah, looking forward to it. We'll uh, we'll shoot our our folks to to Gator Dave's podcast as well for the the Florida side of a, a preview. Sounds good, Porter Larson, right there, ESPN seven hundred, Salt Lake City, Utah. Porter, thank you so much for joining Gators Breakdown. Thanks, Dave. Winning season has officially returned. College football is kicking off, and the NFL is right around the corner. Whether you're a seasoned better or a first-timer, MyBookie gets the most for your money with a double deposit bonus up to 1000 bucks. All you got to do is head to MyBookie.ag, sign up, use promo code GATERS on your first deposit, and you'll instantly double your money with MyBookie. It's simple. A $250 deposit puts $500 in your account. And you can use your funds to bet on as many individual games, contests, or pops as you want. Bet on team win totals, predict the Super Bowl winner, or use the MyBookie Prop Builder to give yourself the edge you need to secure the bag. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. All right, here we go. Nice preview right there. And as we know, Billy Napier does not get to ease into his first season in Gainesville Number seven, Utah, coming to the Swamp Saturday night. No Florida coach has lost his debut game at the school since Charlie Pell in 1979. Many haven't had a tough game like this to, to start off with in their debut game. So Billy Napier probably draws the, the, the toughest one right here. I mean, Napier has his hands full, of course. I mean, last time we saw Utah, as we said right here in the interview, Utah was clobbering Oregon in the Pac-12 championship. Gave Ohio State all they could handle in the Rose Bowl. That's the last time we saw that team. Now they roll into the Swamp. Florida has only ever played two games against a ranked opponent in the Swamp to open the season. Winning both of those contests despite being the lower ranked team in both matchups. Unranked Florida defeated number 7 Houston 59-34 in the 1969 opener while the 16th ranked Gators took down number 15 Miami 17-14 in the debut of the 1982 season. Add to that, Utah doesn't always play well on the road lately. For Utah, 10-4 last season, four losses came at BYU, at San Diego State, at Oregon State, and of course, in the Rose Bowl, more of a neutral site, but who, who did Utah beat away from home, away from Salt Lake City? I mean, a bad USC program, okay, that was a road game win, but we know USC, fire Clay Helton. Very down USC team last year. Stanford, not a very good team. That was another road win. And then another road win was a struggle at Arizona. Pac-12 championship, of course, another neutral site game. That was an away win, you know, away from home, but it was neutral site. Utah is 2-8 and eight in its last 10 games away from home against teams that finish with a winning record. So we'll have to see what that means for Florida down the road. We think this team will end up with a winning record. Utah 2-8 and eight in last 10 games away from home against teams that finish with a winning record. 
Let's look more at this Utah offense. This is a running team with a good quarterback in Cam Rising. Big difference maker when he eventually took over last season. Mentioned their struggles on the road last season. Some of that was before he took over, of course. Utah started 1-2 and two last season with losses at BYU and San Diego State. Versus San Diego State, Rising almost led the Utes to a comeback win, passing for 153 yards, three touchdowns, engineering three strong drives to get the game to overtime after replacing an ineffective Charlie Brewer late in the third quarter of that game. He started from then on. Utah ends the season going 9-2 and two the rest of the way with losses coming at Oregon State and Ohio State in the Rose Bowl. Rising actually had better stats in true road games than home games last season. In five home games and five away games, he had a 3% higher completion percentage, 64% compared to 61% on the road. Threw for more yards on the road, 1,160 compared to 949. And here's the kicker. A 10 touchdown to zero interception ratio on the road compared to seven touchdowns, three interceptions at home. So good look there at Rising. Played pretty well on the road. But one more statistical look here. As, we said, as I said, this was a, they are known as a running team. So Rising only threw for more than 200 yards five times in 11 starts. Helping him, you know, he didn't get sacked a lot. Quick passing game, you know, a, a team that runs the ball, quick passing game scheme, passes behind the line of scrimmage, close to the line of scrimmage. In that scheme, the Utah offensive line only allowed 13 sacks last season. Not a lot of deep drops in this attack. You're not going to see a lot of five, seven-step drops. Could limit chances for interceptions for the Gators if they can't get the pressure on the quarterback. But in this quick attack, if Florida's able to get their hands on the interception, say a quick slant, quick pass, that could be six the other way. I'd be scared to death that Todd Grantham was still the defensive coordinator on the sideline. We know DB's playing way too far off in coverage. Want to see how aggressive Patrick, Tony, Corey, Raymond are with the defensive backs. One more thing about rising, we definitely have to watch him using his legs. He's dangerous there. Rising 6.7 yards per carry last season, ranked first among Power 5 quarterbacks with 70 or more carries. Dangerous with his legs. Go back and watch the Rose Bowl versus Ohio State. That's about the only game you need to watch there to see how dangerous he can be with his legs. Rising has a ton of help. At the running back and tight end position, let's start at running back. Tavion Thomas, you heard it in the interview earlier as well. Porter mentioned in this episode how big of a weapon he is. A lot of praise there. Big-bodied running back. Stats back it up, too. Thomas scored at least one touchdown in the last nine games he appeared in last season, putting in 15 of his 21 total touchdowns in the final six games of the season. 70% of his touchdowns came Final six games of the season. He ranked third in FBS and first in the Pac-12 in total rushing touchdowns with 21. Tied for sixth most rushing scores by Pac-12 running back since 1996. 
we know given that Florida's defensive line, linebackers will be tested in this game in so many ways. Keeping run contained for both the quarterbacks and the running backs, having to play physical versus that running attack, filling the right gaps, something we heard was an issue in the second scrimmage. Linebackers had their hands full in dealing with this Utah rushing attack, as well as the defensive line, of course. Linebackers have to spy rising probably at times, having to cover those Utah tight ends. You know, besides Ventura Miller, we haven't seen a group that could share blockers, get in position to make tackles or attack the hole, make consistent plays in traffic. They're going to have to this game. There's going to be parts of this game where we need to hear more than Ventrell Miller and Amari Bernie. I think those guys will be the two main cogs. Not saying those guys won't have good games. They'll be the main cogs there. But we're going to need to hear from Derek Wingo, Dewan Black, Scooby Williams, and or Shamar James. Some combination of those guys we're going to have to hear from. Especially if those tight ends get going and Ventrell Miller and Amari Bernie are struggling in coverage. You may have to bring in one of those other guys, more a little more athleticism. I mean, Bernie had that recruiting profile. We'll see if better coaching can unlock that. But we've seen too many times him struggle in coverage as well. Ventro Miller, we know, he's more of a run-stuffing linebacker than a pass-coverage linebacker. Bernie has that profile, but we got, we got to see it. we got to see him prove it. And we've seen him too many times, mainly against running backs, struggle in pass coverage. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With these tight ends, it won't all be on the linebackers, of course. Utah will... No lineup where DBs have to cover these tight ends as well. They'll, they'll move them out, at least, especially Keithy. You heard that in the interview as well. But you'll bring in a DB to help in coverage. You'll bring in a DB in the box as well to help, you know, that Utah run game. You know, these tight ends, especially Keithy, he don't just catch balls in the middle of the field. He has shown enough where he'll, pet, you know, he'll, Catch passes down the field. Catch passes on the outside. Utah has a lot to prove at wide receiver coming into this season. So the known here is this rushing attack and these tight ends. So I hope we see an aggressive approach by by, by Tony talked about earlier with this quick passing game, playing up on these receivers. You leave these guys in tight coverage. Leave them on the island versus these Utah receivers. Make them prove that they can beat you. Focus on stopping that running game in these tight ends. Utah does have a couple of newer offensive linemen taking over. One of those is at the center. You heard us talk about that. 6'2", 304-pound Paul Miley started three times at center last year, but now he has to step in for Nick Ford and try to replace the production of a three-time all uh, a three-time all Pac-12 player. Then he has to do that in the swamp Saturday night. Not many starts, certainly not many starts, in an environment like he's going to see Saturday night. 
One last key stat and one will all come back out after the game and see if it plays out like this. But keep in mind, keep up with this during the game. We'll see what it looks like. We know if Todd Grantham was a defensive coordinator, we would feel so bad about this stat I'm about to read. Utah is 23-0 and over the last eight seasons when it converts 50% or more of its third down chances. Watch third down. If Utah gets over it, can Florida buck it? Can they buck that trend? Or is this indicative of how the game will play out if Utah is over 50% or 50% or more? Converting their third down. So definitely important to keep up. I don't think our confidence level in that stat would be all too great. If Todd Grantham was on the sideline, thankfully with that stat right there, he's not on the sideline anymore. Third down, always important. But looking at that stat even more so this week versus Utah. Their style of play, that safe style of play, not hurting yourself too much. You convert those third downs, you're staying on the field, you're wearing your opponent out. That is their style of play, and it converts very well for them. 23-0 over the last eight seasons when Utah converts 50% or more of its third downs. Woo! On offense, let's switch gears here. Offense for the Gators. I'd love to see an aggressive onslaught early. And I'm talking about the passing game a little bit there. I think it can open up. There's so much unknown with Anthony Richardson playing the quarterback position. How Billy Napier will use him. Start off fast as possible in the passing game with Anthony Richardson and see if you can get up by a couple scores early. And you might can do that in the run game too. I'm not saying you can't. You know, but get this crowd into it. I, I think that will be there because of the unknown of Anthony Richardson. Billy Napier likes to take deep shots early. So with Richardson, you see if you can get up by a couple scores early. Given the home crowd, get that crowd in it. Given the warm, hot, humid weather, I don't see Utah being able to fight back in that environment. If you can get them out of their comfort zone of running the ball, get them down a couple scores, get that crowd into it. I really think that is the best path to a victory for Florida. Not saying Florida can't win if you know they want to pound the ball from snap one to the last snap of the game. Florida can win in that fashion too. But I think the best path to a victory in that environment, get up early, I don't see Utah coming back. I mean, either way, the Florida ground game is going to be the story of the game. Either you get up like that and then start pounding away, start wearing Utah out or you just wear them out from snap one. But I do think there's an advantage of trying to open it up early. In this environment, Utah's not used to. Crowd, weather, heat-wise. I just don't see them coming back, getting down a couple scores. I really don't. Now, Utah, a pretty good rush defense. How does that translate? I think Florida's focus, no matter how I say start the game, Florida's focus the whole game will be that running game. 
trying to get that ground game going. Utah, best run defense in the Pac-12 last year, averaging 3.7 yards per carry given up. But, but, when the Utes got run on, they usually lost. 3.7 yards per carry for the whole year, but they did have some bad games. San Diego State ran for over 200 yards, four and a half yards a pop. BYU, 231 yards rushing, five yards per carry. Oregon State, 260 yards on the ground, six yards a carry. Those were the three regular season losses for Utah. So if Florida shows the ability to run on Utah, I think a lot of us see that opportunity is there. Their other loss, Rose Bowl, Ohio State, of course, passing all over the field with those quarter, with that quarterback and those receivers. That's what you do. Only ran for 110 yards, but 5.5 yards a carry. So average yards per carry, if Florida can get four and a half, five, you feel pretty good there. But that 200-yard benchmark, something to look out for. Going back to 2017, five seasons here, Utah is 0-8 when giving up 200 yards or more on the ground. So for Utah offense, third down, very important. Utah defense, that benchmark of 200 rushing yards, very important. 0-8 since 2017. Florida had six games last season of 200 or more rushing yards. Only two in the SEC, though, versus Alabama and Tennessee in back-to-back weeks. Napier last year at Louisiana had five games of 200 or more yards rushing. So I think you look at this offensive line led by Osiris Torrance, this deep stable of running backs, Anthony Richardson's potential inability of running the ball, certainly one stat to pay attention to. I think Florida can get that 200 yards on the ground. I really do. Mainly because Utah, young players up front on the defensive line and replacing both linebackers, one of them being all-world linebacker Devin Lloyd, first-round pick in the NFL draft by the Jaguars, may be one of, if not the best player in program history there at Utah. That's not stretching the truth there. I know they have Alex Smith, and Alex Smith is really good as well. So I at least at least say the best defensive player. At least put him at that level or in the conversation. I don't know Utah's history all that great, but I've heard them say that. Now, all the research I've done for this team over the summer, I've heard that said. And all he did was make 250 tackles, 15 and a half sacks, 43 tackles for loss, five interceptions over the last three seasons. And now, we know the name very well, Mahmoud Diabate will help fill in there. We know his faults. Trouble shedding blocks, not very physical, letting plays come to him instead of attacking. Yeah, he had a high number of tackles at Florida, but do you remember a standout play, a standout tackle by Mahmoud Diabate? I don't remember many. Yeah, there was a high number of tackles, but not many of them all that effective. So Utah replacing defensive linemen and linebacker. Very favorable matchup for Florida. Need to take advantage of it. I'm high on Anthony Richardson and his passing ability. 
And I think you try to open up the game that way. But this game's going to be won by Florida taking advantage in the run game. Where are you tie out? One more quick look to extend the offense a bit and pass the game. Maybe look out for Florida's size advantage here. Justin Shorter, 6'5". Xavier Henderson, 6'3". Trent Whittemore, 6'4". You know, Florida, of course, went out and got Ricky Pearsall from the portal. They need that speed. They need that playmaking ability. There is a size advantage here. Florida's going to have a size advantage there with those receivers more times often than not. Utah's projected starter. There's projected starters at cornerback and nickelback. No taller than 5'11". Justin Shorter, 6'5". Xavier Henderson, 6'3". Trent Whittemore, 6'4". Might can take advantage. A couple spots right there for the Gators. Overall, looking at this game, the unknown of Florida versus the known of Utah. I mean, of course, Billy Napier's first game as Gators head coach, making his debut versus Kyle Whittingham, 18 seasons, entering his 18th season at Utah. 214 games coached with Utah. Napier is looking to become the first Florida head coach to beat a ranked team in his first game at his, as head coach. Florida owns the longest active home opener win streak in, the, in college football with 32 straight wins. This last loss, 1989, 24-19 versus Ole Miss. Florida's only lost one season opener. Of course, that's a neutral site game in 2017 versus Michigan in Arlington. Losing one season opener that game right there since 1990. And add to that, I mean, we know Florida's played well at home lately in big games. Obvious home field advantage for the Gators. 2018 versus LSU getting that big win in Dan Mullen's first year. Auburn comes into the swamp in 2019. Big win there. 2020, big game you lost versus LSU, but... Come on, that was not the swamp. COVID year, you didn't get you didn't get the full effect of the swamp. And the full effect of the swamp last year was almost enough to help Florida upset Alabama last year. So played well in big games with a full 90,000 raucous crowd. Speaking of that raucous crowd, that environment. Of the 115 players that participated in fall camp for Utah, 86 were underclassmen. Freshmen, redshirt freshmen, sophomores. So while they have experience starting lineup in, 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 in important positions, very inexperienced behind that. 86 were underclassmen, accounting for 74% of the roster. Of the 86 underclassmen, 54 are freshmen, true or redshirt, and 32 are sophomores. Utah has the sixth youngest roster among Power 5 teams this season. And they're playing in the Swamp Saturday night. The unknown can be an advantage. I mean, there's some unknown there for Utah as well, but we know the scheme. We know the culture. We they, they, There's the expectations there that that coaching staff has and those players have with that coaching staff. You know, there's not a lot of guesswork there. The unknown can be an advantage for Florida. Well, I think we know Florida wants to run the ball. They're going to rely on the run. 
a lot this year. How much do they or can they rely on Anthony Richardson? That's a, that's a question. You know, how much more ability now does Napier have to open his playbook with a quarterback that has the potential of Anthony Richardson? And we may not get that answer this game because there is an advantage up front for Florida. They could come out running very first play of the game and just try and wear down Utah. I mean, how many pass attempts does Anthony Richardson have this game? I wouldn't be surprised with 20. I wouldn't be surprised with 30. That's the unknown here. But Utah has a lot to prove on the, on the back end besides Clark Phillips the third. Does that allow for more passing yards than we expect? As for defense, Tony has more athleticism than he's ever been able to use for a defense. Does that, does that allow him to get even more creative using you know, the creepers and disguising this defense? How creative can he get knowing that the worry from Utah is the running attack and the tight ends? It's okay to admit that there's a lot of unknown with this Florida program. We'll learn about this team as this season goes along. We can look at what this staff has done in the past, and that will still probably follow somewhat. But how much changes due to the talent profile? A lot more talent at Florida. And a quarterback that I really think can just open up the playbook for Billy Napier. I mean, this isn't like Utah, as I said, established culture, scheme, philosophy, expectations. It's not. A lot of questions around this Florida program. And the unknown can be an advantage right here. Everything is new. It could be an advantage. It could also be a weakness. We don't know yet. We don't know. So one more look. Well, you know what? We're at the beginning part of the season. We can do this. I'm going to read that. You know, those anonymous coaches reports that I like reading about from Athlon Magazine. Let's read the one on Utah. Opposing coaches size up Utah. This is the best program in the Pac-12. I don't think you'll find anyone who would name another team. They could beat Florida to open up the season and help the league out tremendously. They do a fantastic job recruiting to their culture, and they always have. They have cornered the market on what physical football looks like, and coaches from other conferences would tell you that too. Look at the Oregon games. Mario Cristobal made it a mission to make Oregon more physical on the lines, and the Utes just blew them up twice. It's a testament to the fact that it's not easy to do what they do out there. They do a really good job making Utah a recruiting priority and then complementing with California and Texas. It's a good mix of players. And the success they had last year has helped them push forward on higher-profile talent. I think they could brand themselves better in the portal if they wanted to. They're schematically simple, but fundamentally sound on defense, which is common when you're trying to lead with your physicality. Don't muck it up. Let them make contact. Offensively, they run power with the right wrinkles. You can't get too comfortable with it because they'll slip into some RPO stuff, and that will kill you. They're going to get lapped by USC eventually, but not right now. As long as that staff is in place, they're going to win game. They're going to win games and compete for Rose Bowls. So there you go. 
There's your look at Utah from some anonymous coaches too. Nothing really surprising there. Kind of, you know, kind of speaking back on that established culture and knowing who they are. We know Florida has to be ready for that physical approach. We'll get our answer Saturday night. <laughs> so we'll, I'll make the predictions here. Not a big fan of making predictions, but I, I think you all expect it. So I'll do it. I'm going back and forth on this one so, so much. I've done it all summer. And if you've listened to Gators Breakdown long enough, when I go back and forth, when I have that 50-50 feel, why not I let the fandom take over? I, let, I wear the orange and blue glasses. And I'm going 30-27 Florida. I know I picked uh, you know, a good friend, David Sertiquist, I'm getting swamped. I had 30-24 Florida. But I keep I, even after that, I still go back and forth. And maybe it's it, this being a home game for Florida. Maybe the, the heat and weather, I, I think, do make an impact. Not, not so much. I think it's just pure home crowd that I really think helps Florida here. I mean, there are plenty of reasons I could pick for Florida to lose this game. There really, there really, there, there really are. And probably looking at, and most of the time, the way I do it, looking at the pure football aspect of it, Utah probably should win this game in a lot of ways. Florida still has the talent advantage. Florida still has a speed advantage. I think adding those makes up for the experience and the culture and all that known about Utah. And then I think just enough that home field puts it over the edge for Florida. It's probably orange and blue glasses. But when I mean, there's plenty of pundits out there picking Florida at the same time, more Utah, as it probably should be. And if we switch spots right here, if we switch positions, we'd be picking our team. And I know some Florida fans picking Utah too, and some pundits out there, Florida pundits, and I can't fault them whatsoever. I, I can't. I go back and forth. I have doubts about Florida winning this game. But I am torn on it. And maybe that maybe I shouldn't be. Maybe that's where it comes in. Maybe I shouldn't be torn on it, but I am. And with that, I, I've admitted it before. I'm a fan first. Everybody knows that. I've got the Gator shirt on. You got the setup behind me. I'm a Gator fan. That's why I started this Gator fan first. And when it's this close, when it's 50 50, I let my fandom take over. So 30 27, Florida. That's the way I'm leaning. That's the way I'm going. I hope it turns out that way. Good preview here, man. I, I look, looking forward to this game. Big thanks to Porter there for the Utah side of things. Great preview from him as well. If you want even more of a preview in question and answer format, we'll be doing that on Gators Breakdown Plus. You'll get that extra episode there this week if you want even more coverage of this game. Gators Breakdown Plus members sending in questions that I'll answer. A lot of good questions coming in. There'll be plenty of content <laughs> right there on that side of things. So that'll do it for this episode of Gators Breakdown. I'm your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thank you for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.